Welcome to An Amazingly Ordinary Life, the podcast that takes a behind-the-scenes look at the world of special needs. I'm Sherry Tharp, an autism mom and your host. Join me each week as we share our lives, build community, and redefine normal. This is An Amazingly Ordinary Life, episode number 15. Today, I'll be talking with Barry Eggleston, father of a son who's profoundly autistic. He'll be sharing with us what it meant to him to have to give up his idea of a perfect family. Grab your tissues. Barry, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. I am so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you. Why don't we start just by getting to know you and your family. If you could just introduce us to you and your wife and to Garrett. It's kind of interesting the way to describe our family. I will start with the chief executive of our household, which is Jamie, my wife. Uh, She is, the best way to describe her is that she is a uh, bucking for sainthood. On Judgment Day, if you're within a 10-foot radius of her, you're going to be in good company. She is absolutely wonderful. And we have Garrett, who is going to be the main topic of the uh, podcast. He is our profoundly autistic son. He is now 22 years old, which I'm still trying to embrace that part. And Garrett's younger brother, who is a year younger than Garrett, Nolan. And Nolan passed away about an hour after delivery. And Garrett's older brother, Travis, is uh, a year older than Garrett. And he died at delivery. Then you have me that some will say is Dr. Evil, but also at the times I'm, I'm the structured, organized, scheduled guy. I'm the one who maintains the family calendar. I own a watch. My wife does not own <laughs> a watch, nor does she believe in, in one. She believes in the, in the moment. I don't. I, there's no such thing as ish. If it's nine o'clock, it's nine o'clock, not nine-ish. So Jamie and I are yin and yang. Because of all my many faults, Jamie, all of her strengths cover all of mine. So we make an absolutely great, great pair. You got some serious bonus points for the way you introduced your wife, by the way. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) The reason why this podcast and what you're doing is so important to me and, and touches my heart is the same reason that I had that same passion, well, for Garrett. And to be perfectly honest, it didn't start that way. This is really more of a, of a story, if I could frame it that way, that this is a story really of redemption, not so much about Garrett, but for me. The things that I've learned over these years of raising and caring for Garrett has been not just eye-opening, but, but soul-changing. I do want to kind of explain why this is so important to us or became important, especially for me being, as I mentioned earlier, being the scheduler, the organized person. I like to know what to expect, and I want to know and plan on what my day, week, month, year, and life is going to be like. I would much rather do that. I have a calendar that I use, in, that I write in pen, because in pencil means, okay, that's too flaky. I need to know something permanent. I need to count on things. And it brings me comfort 
And I think maybe because that's just the way I was either raised or there was so much pandemonium and loosey-goosey mindset at home that I just got to that point. I will say that Jamie is the complete opposite. So when we were pregnant with Travis, I knew then, okay, a boy. My dad had me and my little brother, as well as two daughters. And so I knew that dad loved knowing that he was going to have a son. And I loved the idea that I was going to have a son because my point of reference is everything I did as a boy, all the things I got to do with my dad. And those were expectations that that was what was going to happen. So I had predetermined what was going to happen with all three pregnancies with Travis, Garrett, and with Nolan that we were going to play catch and play ball and be active in Boy Scouts and do all those icon things that's in my mind, especially for a father. You know, you think of those wonderful times that you spent with your dad, and it doesn't even have to be with your father. There could be those father figures, those that you grow up with and those events that are just in your, in your mind that you think of being a complete life. So I had already planned what my happiness was going to be like and what my hope was going to be like, but I also predetermined what Travis Garrett and Nolan's happiness and hope was going to be because that's how it's supposed to work. That's the way it worked for me. So when Travis, we went to the hospital for delivery, we were so excited. We had everything ready and went to the hospital. And unfortunately they did a sonogram and found out that, the umbilical cord had wrapped around his neck. So we had to deliver naturally and we were crushed beyond crushed, but God was there as always and carried us through. And then a year later we were pregnant with Garrett. Well, it was really quick for me to go right back into the saddle and have that expectations again. I'm a slow learner. So I went right back into, okay, well then Garrett will now, do all of these things and I'll have this happiness and joy and hope with Garrett. You know, then it got a little, a little worrisome at first because Jamie went into preterm labor and Garrett was born early, three and a half months early. So he was one pound, five ounces at delivery in 1998. And wow. uh, thank God in a great incubator, he pulled through. So after three months, we got to bring him home. But if the doctor did tell us about any potential issues with Garrett, we didn't either pay attention or there really wasn't anything. We all just made assumptions that, okay, he's just going to start off small and then he will catch up and he'll fill out and he'll look something bigger than the Cornish hen than he looked like <laughs> at the time when he was born. So, about a year and a half later, we're pregnant again. Jamie's fertile turtle. She was what had uh, we another boy, and so we thought, okay, great, we're going to have the two boys since you know Travis is you know buried at Restland, but we, hey, we got Garrett, and now we're pregnant with Nolan. Well, same thing. For some reason, Jamie again went in the preterm labor, so we just thought, okay, we're going to have another child like Garrett that starts off small and then we'll eventually catch up. But unfortunately, because for whatever reason, either water broke in too soon or whatever the reasons were, that an infection had set in in vitro and just ravaged his body. So Nolan 
when he was delivered, the doctor said that we got to make a decision. We can keep him alive. He's, he's too far gone. We need to make a decision. So Jamie, of course, is under anesthesia because she had the C-section. So we, I keep saying we, because I feel like God was right there with me to let him go be with Travis and Jesus. You made that decision while Jamie was still unconscious in recovery. Yes, she was in recovery and they wanted a decision pretty soon because whatever they were going to do, they needed to act fairly quickly with the machinery and what needed to be done to keep him alive. So they needed something pretty much right then. But it was full disclosure. Doctor told me everything, what to expect one way and also for the other. So I knew that it had to be me right there. And of course, because this was an unexpected, there wasn't any family or anyone else there. It was me. And a nurse came by and was with the doctor when the doctor talked to me. And she said, uh, you know, is there someone here for you? You know, because she heard what decision I had to make. She says, is there someone here with you? I said, well, yeah. I mean, it was almost like I, I was amazed that she couldn't see it because I, I really felt, I truly felt a presence that Jesus was right there. And there was as close to peace beyond understanding for a moment, enough for clarity, I guess, that I was able to make that decision. But the hardest one was then going into recovery and telling Jamie, you know, so she's kind of groggy and I have to wake her. I said, sweetie, I got, you know, I got to tell you something. So she's already saying, what color is his hair? Does he look like Garrett? You know what? She was asking questions that I had to say, sweetie, I'm sorry. You know, and I had to tell her and that, that was almost as, as hard as giving the decision to the doctor. And, Jamie, you know, made a woeful sound that I don't think I ever want to hear ever again for the rest of my life. It's just a soft part of her soul just escaping is what it sounded like. And that probably cemented her absolute profound love for Garrett, that her mindset then is, I have a son. I have a child that's alive, that's at home, that my mother is, is watching right now. And this is before we got the diagnosis for Garrett. So we get home, and that's why so much was, for me as the dad, so much was riding on Garrett then for those hopes, dreams, expectations, because I got two strikes already that, okay, it's not going to happen with Travis, not going to happen with Nolan. So everything's riding on Garrett to fulfill daddy's hopes, dreams, expectations of what's going to happen and happiness factor. So once I got home, I realized Jamie didn't have that same overall heaviness of, okay, everything's riding on Garrett. She immediately, Garrett was joined at the hip with Jamie from there, from then on out. And nothing has changed since that time. I, on the other hand, really kind of intensified my hopes, dreams, happiness meter, and expectations. And it was a good year and a half before Jamie started noticing little things that just didn't seem right. And because we didn't have any other children and we have family 
but they are all older, so we didn't have anything to really go by as far as milestones are concerned. And I have a horrible memory, so I don't remember what age I was when I did certain things. So when Garrett wasn't hitting certain milestones, Jamie started getting concerned. And I may have seen it, but I didn't want to see it. But Jamie knew pretty quickly that when she would bring it up to me, that I would get really irritated and just kind of shut her down going, he's fine. He's fine. I don't want to talk about it. He's, he's just fine. Then I would eventually, occasionally when she would bring up something again about what he's not doing or should be doing, you know, I, I would tell her, I go, look, he, he's a boy, you know, and he's also in Eggleston. So he's going to take a while anyway. So it got to the point where it almost made me mad when Jamie would bring it up. I'm paraphrasing. I didn't use the exact words, thankfully, but it was, you know, hey, don't mess with my son. Don't mess with my happiness. Don't mess with my hope. Don't mess with his happiness and hope, because the more that you keep bringing this up and talking about it, it's putting me in a place that I don't want to be because I always was there with Travis and Nolan. So Jamie knew then she had to do everything on her own. So she contacted the school district and found out that, yes, they actually do have something for early childhood intervention that they can have folks come out and take a look and and work with your child and look to see what some issues might be. But before they could do that, they needed to find out, well, is there a diagnosis of what was happening? So Jamie, again, on her own, made an appointment with a developmental specialist. and. There's not enough of those angels on on this earth. They're just not. The two that we had here, they helped Jamie in trying to figure out what this thing is that's causing Garrett to have not progressing and not hitting these milestones. So she had that performed. She went back to the hospital and they did a brain scan. They did all these things without me knowing about it. Because you didn't want to know. I didn't want to know. And also because she knew not to tell me about it. Right. So once the results were in and the doctor said, okay, we want you to come in. We had some results. That's when she came to me and said, sweetie, I probably already know what the answer is, but do you want to go with me? Because, you know, I'm taking Garrett, but this is what I've done. I went and had these tests done and I took Garrett to the doctors and they've been doing this. And at first, I was a little irritated that she had done that. But then I started feeling better about it, going with the mindset of, you know, this will finally shut her down. So I can't wait to be in there when the doctor says, Mrs. Eggleston, you're overblowing all this. He is just fine. I don't know why you, you know, you're, you even thought this. Your husband was right. You know, I mean, <laughs> of course. I, uh, yes. So I don't know why I had that in my mind, but I told Jamie, said, yeah, yes. As a matter of fact, yes, I will go. Because I want to hear, I want to be there to hear the doctor say, "Miss Eccleston, everything's fine. Well, so we show up at the doctor's office and it took one sentence from her that completely changed changed my life forever. And it was you know, I, I am just so sorry. Garrett is profoundly autistic. We found some 
brain damage from lack of oxygen at delivery. We see a cerebral palsy in his leg. Just really a whole bunch of abbreviations and names that I didn't know exactly what it meant because every, everything after that just became just kind of static. But what I did know was what I was not going to get. That was my whole focus opposite of Jamie. Mine was what Barry was not going to get and which eventually led into what Garrett would never get. But I lost those icons, those expectations and those dreams. I knew, okay, playing ball with Garrett, talking to him, gone. Boy Scouts, camping together, laughing together with jokes, gone. Going to school and watching him succeed doing this, gone. Uh, dating, gone. You know, getting married, having kids, gone. Uh, the Eggleston name, gone. No other kids for us. Legacy's gone. Happiness is gone because Garrett can't do these things. Hope is gone because he can't succeed. He can't do anything different than what he's doing right now, which is nothing. That then led over to, well, if I can't be happy and I have no hope, then that means Garrett can't either. So I grieved, but I grieved for myself, for the dreams and what I was not going to get. I grieved for Garrett of what he would never get. I grieved for Jamie that what she wasn't going to get. And I took all that onto myself. Not that Jamie didn't grieve. She grieved for the moment. But because of what happened with Travis and with Nolan, and also just with Jamie's built-in love meter, it didn't matter. They could have told Jamie that Garrett was diagnosed as being a giraffe, you know, and she would have said, okay, then here we go. You know, then let me be the best giraffe's mother in the history of ever. The father part, no. Over time, the more that I was around Garrett and Jamie, it was a constant reminder that I would never be happy. A constant reminder that my dreams were dead, that Garrett would never be happy, that, okay, Jesus, you want to come today, that's fine, because what else do they look forward to? I mean, wasn't that extreme, but pretty darn close. I justified to myself that I could do the out of sight, out of mind approach, and that didn't work out too well uh, toward the end. But to me, it did, because I could justify saying, hey, why put yourself through that? You're the one bringing in the money at the law firm from being a paralegal. You know, you have great insurance, so they have a home over their head, and they have great insurance, so you don't need to be home to see all that. Be at work, you know, get a, stay away from it. So there was a good time there that as a just a lowly paralegal, I was the highest billing professional, even over the partners and attorneys, because I wouldn't leave. Yeah. would not leave the office, not because I had this overriding desire to be Oliver Wendell Holmes and do great legal work. No, I, I just didn't want to come home. You had your uh, escape. That was my escape. And some folks divorce, some physically leave. There's multiple, the multitude ways of, of escaping. Mine was, was physically. We never separated legally but in heart, spirit, you name it, yeah, we did. I did. I did. They didn't. I, I was one who, who kept removing myself. Then when times when I couldn't work, you know, I would find out when Garrett's sleeping schedule was. So I made sure to sleep 
when he was and whenever he was awake, I had to make sure to be out of the house to be doing something, you know. And if I just, just couldn't do it, then thank goodness for melatonin and sleep aids for me to just, just kind of sleep my way through it. So I knew something had to change was when I was years later, I was at a, I was at the downtown courthouse doing some research in the records. And a, a guy, a coworker I used to work with years earlier that I knew when Jamie and I were dating, he came in, hadn't seen him forever. So he walked in, Hey Barry, how are you? I haven't seen you forever. Are you still dating that Jamie girl? I said, well, you know, Paula, I married her. You married Jamie. You and Jamie are married. I said, Oh yeah, I can't believe it. Yeah, it's great. You sure did well. Yeah. Any kids? Nope. Of course I corrected myself afterwards. I go, Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. uh, Yes. Yes, I do have. Yes, I do have. a. I have a son. I have a son. His name is Garrett. You know, I'd show you a picture of him, but I don't seem to have one in my wallet. I can remember he even said, are you are you sure? So, oh, yeah, yeah, I do. I do have. Yeah, yeah, I, I do have a son. But I had to go straight into my defense mode. I knew that I had disowned, didn't even recognize my own son. And I I knew then, okay, I've I've gone way too far on this, on this escape. During all of this, was Jamie aware that that's why you were working long hours and finding things to do from away from home, or did she just think that that was just your job? I think a little of both. I think mainly because of my job, because I didn't want to talk to her about that. In fact, I didn't want to talk to anyone about it. I can put on a really good game face when needed. We had family over or something. I did, wanted to make sure I was not showing any sort of signs of what was hap- really happening in my heart. And then just as soon as, you know, got home and it was, you know, oh, sweetie, I've got to go up to the office, you know, or I've got to do something. So I think she knew something just the fact that in the early stages that I didn't want to talk about her having any suspicions of an issue with Garrett. We didn't talk a lot about it at that time, but she knew what my hopes and dreams were. She knew I was crushed. She knew about how hard it was. So what made me really understand of what kind of angel I was married to is that she allowed me to grieve at my own pace and own time and did not give me a deadline and did not say, okay, I'm going to put an egg timer out. You've got 15 minutes to grieve and then you're done. And then after that, everything's going to be cherry pie and, and parades. That wouldn't have worked with me. In fact, I think if there was something of that mindset restrictions or limitations or a deadline, I'm not sure how I would have responded. It may not have been favorable. You hear this all the time. Uh, You know, everyone grieves in different ways, but they also grieve in different times. Not that some people can't say, okay, I'm giving myself a day and then move on. I've heard people who, who do that. Man, I admire that. I don't have that. You know, I really don't. So it takes a while to process. So just as much as that impacted me of hearing Garrett's diagnosis, what changed my life again was after several weeks, I guess several weeks after me disowning Garrett, one evening 
the sound that I heard from our living room changed my life again. I'm sure many of the listeners have, have had this experience, you included. There's a sound that is so pleasing to your ear the first time you hear it, but you're not sure where it came from or what it is. But one evening I heard this sound coming that I haven't heard from my living room. And I was really curious what it was or even who it was. I was wondering, okay, I, I see the light on because our bedroom is situated right off from the living room. And I saw that the light was on underneath the door. So I opened to see who was in the living room with Jamie. There was Garrett sitting next to Jamie on our couch. And Jamie is reading that Pulitzer Prize winning novel, Brown Bear, Brown Bear, What Do You See? And every time she got to an animal, she would make a noise of that animal. And the sound that I heard was Garrett laughing. Because when she would then get to the next animal and made a sound, Garrett started laughing. Uh, again each time and it was the most wonderful soul cleansing uplifting beautiful angelic sound that I have I've ever heard and the fact that it came from him so it startled him when I said Jamie 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 Garrett laughed Jamie Jamie I'm pointing it out like she didn't know and they both looked up at me and Jamie said oh yeah that's what he does. He really likes this book. He laughs quite a bit when you have these certain sounds. So as she's talking, Garrett looks up and he's looking at me while Jamie's looking just, just for a moment, not much eye contact, but just for a moment. But I saw it and I said, Jamie, look, Garrett looked at me. Oh yeah. He'll, can, he'll occasionally glance, glance up. He slid down off of the couch, waddle in his typical way, over through the living room toward me. I'm still standing there by the bedroom door. And he started walking to me. Again, I went, Jamie, 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 get the video camera. Look at this. He's walking toward me, Dr. Evil. What, what's happening? So embarrassingly, I started kind of backing up. Looking back now, it still just kills me. Instead of moving forward, walking toward him because he was coming to me, I walked couple of steps backwards. And I don't know if it's because I was, I don't know. It, this was a new child and I didn't know what was happening. And I looked up and Garrett grabbed my hand. And again, I could, all I could come out with is, Jamie, what is happening? What is going on? And she goes, why don't you just wait and see? Garrett takes my hand takes me back through the living room, through the dining room, through our kitchen, and then puts my hand onto the doorknob of our back door that leads to our backyard. And then he leaves it there and then he just looks at me, like waiting, like looking at me. And the whole time, again, you know what I'm saying? Jamie, 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 what is happening? What, 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 what is this? Jamie said, he doesn't know how to open the door. Garrett wants to, to twist the doorknob, open the door so he can go outside and play. Because Garrett really does as an outdoorsman. You know, he loves being outside. Because, you know, that uh, flower bed you have with all that mulch, Garrett likes to get it in that sand that you have and throw it into the yard. And then when he's done, throw it right back because he's the neatest, most organized messer-upper in, in the house. He puts everything right back that he threw out.
she said he he's an outdoorsman he loves being outside but he can't open the door so he's asking he wants you to open the door for him and it hit me that's when it just dawned on me what was happening and what i had missed and i told james what else is he doing how long has he been doing this you know i was peppering her and questioning her like in a deposition she said the most wisest words ever which is you know sweetie if you'll just get new eyes to see and new ears to hear you would be amazed at all the things that garrett can do and that struck me so much because all i could think about for the all this time was what garrett couldn't do and what i wouldn't be able to get and it dawned on me that it doesn't look like or sound like and doesn't smell like the mm -hmm. dreams and hopes and all that i thought i was going to get but i wanted to have before the diagnosis i wanted to spend time in the outdoors with my son in boy scouts well guess what it's not boy scouts but guess who is an outdoorsman garrett and the boy loves sports when he started in school went into the special olympics we have a wall full of medals and ribbons because the boy is fast as a lightning bolt. Now, the, the running and starting part has never been a problem. It's the stopping part. <laughs> so they had volunteers at the finish line to keep him from running off to Canada because he'd be there in 10 <laughs> minutes. So again, sports, something that I, that I dreamed that we were going to do. So it dawned on me that it doesn't sound or look like what I thought it was going to be. And that I was the one who needed to work to change as well. As much as that we were having therapists and teachers and doctors and everyone else help us to get Garrett into progress into the spot. If I wanted a relationship, there need to be a movement by me toward him and not be stuck onto this ideal of dream that would never happen. And a light bulb just, just went off. And since that day, we've learned how to have a relationship with Garrett. Like many kids on the autism spectrum, Garrett, when he did start talking, now it was first grade before he did. So, but he loved and continues to love videos, but only certain ones. It has to be old school Disney and VeggieTales and, and the like, but there's only a select few, so his communication came from that. So when he did start talking, so instead of mommy and daddy, what we got is Jamie, it's called the Little Mermaid, and for daddy, I was the Lion King. And Garrett's grandmother, my mother, he calls her Lady and the Tramp. So she, <laughs> she loved it. My dad hated it. Uh, but we have a baby book that says baby's first words to say mommy. You know, baby's first words to say daddy. You know, we could scratch it out and write first time to say Little Mermaid. We know that's what he means. So it doesn't sound like what we thought, but that's, in his world, that's what it means. So... I guess more than anything, I learned at that time that I needed to adjust. The downside of that is, and a lesson that I learned later, was then to not go so extreme to a 
truckload full of expectations that can't be moved into zero expectations. Right. Uh, that's a whole new ball game in itself. But I finally learned that lesson. But uh, you found a good spot in the middle. I found a good spot in the middle, and and just. I guess the biggest thing is that the, because of what I was able to visually see with Garrett and the like, the happiness part and the joy returned. But the one thing that was the hardest that comes back and, and you know, your listeners have the same issue, which is it's that last word. It's the hope, you know, it, you can be happy right now what's happening, but you know, then you could look, okay, next year, five years, 10 years, what's going to happen with my son? It's going to happen with my daughter when we're not here. Right. So that's where the hope meter is tough. Yeah. How old was Garrett when you had that moment with him where he led you to the back door? I would say close to three years old. He was, and he still is so small. So, I mean, he's a little hobbit, but to, visualize that now it was it was like a little cherub because he was still even at three he looked like a little bitty gi joe with wings he has always been so slight and small so i guess that's what made it more precious that's what definitely brought the happiness back that when he started school i think is when the hope meter started really kind of improving because we would find teachers therapists, diagnosticians, you name it, involved in education with our school district, they had no relation to Garrett, no relation besides training. Is personally, they didn't have any in their family that were profoundly autistic, yet they would show up on weekends for training on how to deal with, well, Garrett. Now, it was titled, you know, how, you know, autistic children, how to deal with them, work with them and for education. But to me, I take it personally that if they're doing that, they're also doing it for Garrett. And that impressed me. And even more so during the summer that they're going to the Region 10 the Autism Academies, a lot of these autism conferences, because, you know, the three big reasons that you go in education is June, July, and August. That's right. And then then there they were during those months up at school learning how to work with, well, work with Garrett. That's amazing. Well, that's, that's what brought me, started bringing me hope is that, okay, I'm not doing this alone because you'll meet folks that you may have just met and they may be a school photographer. They may be a, a daycare worker. It may be a nurse somewhere. You name it, a neighbor, someone that you have no idea or even an expectation where you would find the compassion from. And it's like a discovery of, I never thought in a million years that this would come from a school photographer. You know, the, what they would do extra to help with, with us, with Garrett. Conversely, as is with many families, there's you have an expectation you would think would come from family, and you're going to be disappointed. A lot of times it's just that don't know what to do. That is all right, because you're going to get the compassion and the understanding from those 
that you least expect. And that's such a wonderful surprise. That is why if you have any teachers listening on your podcast that work with special aids, that's why Monday morning, those teachers are quasi counselors because you're going to get a mother or father going, guess what happened this weekend? It's the greatest thing. And, and you have kept it in all weekend because no one in the family would understand. And, you know, no one else would understand it. You know, Garrett actually put a leg inside of, a, of his pants, you know, and you're going celebrating. Going, How great is that? No one understands. But Monday morning, that teacher, if, you're in that right district with the right folks. They're going, they're celebrating with you. Conversely, there's been many weekends where it's been horrible, just horrible. We can't, you know, it, the squeaky wheel of the shopping cart just would send Garrett into a heap of just crying. And it was horrible. We hated it for him, which then would ruin our weekend because we try to get him to reboot and it was horrible. So the first thing we saw the teacher, we'd tell them about it. Again, you know, not all families are that way, but there, there are some that will go, well, I don't really understand why that's such a big deal. And, and it's, so this whole educating goes beyond just the child. There's an education that needs to go with parents, the family extended. For those who really want to, you know, be a part of this autism journey, that's important. Because everyone is kind of what know what to expect from this child that you may not have contact with all the time, but you know you know what not to say for Christmas. I can't tell you how many times folks would say, "What does Garrett want for Christmas?" You mean like talk to me? Yeah. What What does he want for Christmas? I said he doesn't know what Christmas is. <laughs> if Garrett If Garrett can talk to me, then he's cured. I said Garrett is twenty two years old. He's never had a conversation with me. You know, does he talk? Well, yes. You know, when he wants a banana, you know, banana. I mean, he, there's no conversation going on. It's a, I'm a, I'm a request line for a radio station. You know, I want this, you know, oh, he's verbal. You know, some folks would say, well, well, that means Garrett's nonverbal. Well, I guess nonverbal communicating wise, yeah, in the middle. But is he verbal? Oh, yes, he is very verbal. The boy will sing all of the lyrics to Streets of Laredo. He will sing Jesus Loves Me, The Eyes of Texas. Of course, I don't know where in the world he got that from. <laughs> he knows music. He will hum all of Fuhr Elise from Beethoven. And there's no lyrics. And it's the most wonderful thing to see a content child. It didn't start that way, but, you know, we had to see a few doctors about some medication which just really kind of fills in voids and spots not it doesn't change him into anything else other than it fills in voids and the boy I keep calling him our 22 year old boy he is content he's happy you know he relies on us quite a bit to think for things he can't do but as a parent that's just really more affirmation that what you want for your child you know you may have details like what i did of okay he's got to be a cpa or he's got to go be a doctor or he's got to do these things and if you boil it down if you ask any parent well what do you want for your child i guess the top two would be i want them to be happy and i want them to be content well guess what i've got in spite of profound autism brain damage, epilepsy, uh, cerebral palsy, 
sensory integration dysfunction, 22 years old, still in diapers, still have to make his food. We still have to bathe him, still have to clothe him most of the time, but he's happy and he's content. So to me, that's a pretty good trade-off. We don't want those things to have to happen. I wish they would go away because even with the happiness meter, sometimes that can be really down and really depressing. It's good to be content or happy that you have a child that's at content and happy stage. As a parent, though, you have to give yourself a break and not be hard on, on yourself for those days and nights that are going to occur when you're doing something that no, that you think at the time there is no other parent in the world for their 22-year-old son cleaning out of the bathtub or, you know, change or the sheets or, or even when a good friend's child that's the same age as your child talks about all the great, wonderful things that they're doing, which is happy. You should rejoice with them, but there are times and it's okay to think in your mind, man, that was my life. I thought I was going to get that too. It's okay to feel that way. I'm glad I got to the point now where I'm happy when I hear that news and like, as opposed to always having a chip on my shoulder of, well, I wish I had that. I mean, that's envy. And there's envious of what you thought you were going to get, but there's also envious to a point where it's of the nuclear proportions. That's not good either. Because then no one wants to tell you about all the good things that are happening. Hey, so-and-so got engaged this weekend. Well, I wish my son would get engaged. Well, don't do that. Don't do that. Just say, that's fantastic. I'm so happy for you. But it's okay in the back of your mind going, yeah, I sure wish I could do that, but it's okay. So you live vicariously through them. So you thought you were going to pick out a dorm box for your son or, or child. You don't get to do that anymore. You know something? You're going to have friends whose child is going to go into college then go up to Tom Thumb or Walmart, buy a box, buy supplies, and give it to them and think, you know, I thought I was going to do this for my son, but I'm going to have fun getting this stuff together, and I'm going to give it to this other child's uh, parent. And then you got to do it. No, is it for your child? No. It's good for everyone on something like that. But again, I don't want to minimize it because it's going to happen. Right. Those nights when things are really bad, Give yourself a break. All is right in the world when it's just the three of us at home, when we kind of know what to expect. So Jamie, Garrett, and I are very guilty of cocooning. The greatest thing that's happened, and also some of the worst things that have happened, is when we break out of that mm -hmm. cocoon. So we've been mortified of times where we have broke out and thought, okay, let's accept this invitation to this friend's house that said to come over. Okay, let's say a prayer before we leave. What's going to happen with Garrett? And of course, the very, very worst thing that could happen that only happens in movies would happen. And then we tell the folk we have to leave early and we take Garrett and just we're mortified to no end. And we tell them we'll be happy to buy their new house for them after we leave and then vow to never, ever get out of the house again. We have those events, but we also have the absolutely wonderful, Garrett's first time of getting in a swimming pool was because, and, and tolerating it, it was because we made that step to, to get out. 
and it was fantastic. He had fun. It was wonderful. He didn't do it earlier, you know, years earlier. So no at that time meant no right then. No doesn't mean no forever, especially these kids on the spectrum. No right then sometimes means, okay, no, not in you know, 2003. But in 2022, the answer is yes. He will try it. He will do it. So, you know, I guess the biggest theme or the biggest thing is don't give up. Even if they're, you're getting the Heisman each time, if the child's saying, you know, no, I don't want to do this, or if they can't verbally, if they just don't do something and participate, okay, that just means for right then. Reintroduce it later. And later is your call. Everyone's, everyone knows how their child is, but it's been years. There's been months and there's been years. It just depends on what we do with Garrett. So we've been pleasantly surprised the things that Garrett has done in the past two or three years that almost 10 years ago, we never thought in a million years he would revisit or at least try to do again. It's closest to what a miracle has happened. And we have to give all credit, of course, to God, answered prayer, to the compassion and passion of the teachers from the schools, the unexpected angels of folks who do things that you never thought in a million years. It comes from organizations and groups that are now popping up that you see more, which they weren't out there in 98. Right. You know, when we first got our diagnosis. So back then, you know, we had a lot of trailblazers that we could kind of go to and, and talk to them about it. And man, time goes fast because now, Jamie and I are the ones we're answering questions, you know, of what, uh, what to kind of expect. And, um, so I, I guess this, this whole journey, it really is, it's not just with your child and it knows no matter how, what age your child is, our 22 year old, we'll still always call it our child, but that journey is not only with him or her, it's also with yourself, with your spouse, with your family, with everyone around you. Because it is, and there's stages of it all. And remember those stages. Keep them in a book. Write them down. Make a new stage and just know that, you know, it's not the end of the world when you're leaving elementary to middle school. No, it's, it's tough. And the transition for special needs is very scary. But there's a playbook of how to do the transitions. And it can be done. We did it. And it was a godsend. So now... Every time there's something new, we got, okay, the transition playbook, take pictures, do advanced recon, and take pictures of where he's going and what's happening, dressing the way he's going to, show up a day or two early, do a trial run, uh, you know, then leave the book open, go, hey, Garrett, we're going to this over here. Here's a picture of this. Oh, look, you're going to be wearing a backpack that does this. And it's the most incredible thing. It's so simple. But for a dad like me who is so overanalyzing and detail-oriented, it's so nice to actually have something you can do. Uh, I can't cure autism. I want, I'd cure it this afternoon if I could. I can't right now. I got a to-do list right now that Jamie has given me that, you know, cure <laughs> autism is, is on there, but it's, it's below some other things. But until then, I want to do something. And it's so helpless when you can't do, I can't cure you, son. I'm sorry, I love you, but I can't cure you. But what I can do is all of these other things. So don't give up in the hope 
down the road for change or betterment because uh, it will happen. But again, it may not look, sound, or smell like what you think it will because that's the way it works. Special needs are not. That's just the way it works. Doors open that you never even thought. You, you, you would pray for something that later on you realize, I'm glad you didn't answer my prayer because what has been, what's happened is even better than what I thought should be the best way. So don't give up on that mindset of introducing, reintroducing, stay connected with communities. The Autism Speaks uh, is a fairly new organization, but they have, for those who just received a diagnosis, they have the 100-in-day book. And what it is, it's it's a kit. And you can get it online for free or they'll mail it to you. And it's a directory of some sort, I would say about an inch thick, and it has kind of the, the science of it. it, explains things really well. It gives you lots of resources. It's not it's just a feel-good novel. It's really a resource. Did some really good, depending on what state you're in, it will list a lot of uh, help uh, where you can get some help. Uh, there's a lot of things that, you know, down the road as you're on this podcast and when you're on uh, Sherry's website, there's going to be links to things to do and what to look for and what you should do, or at least what would help. And each state has their own somewhat of a health and human services. So there's going to be things you can do for your child when you first begin this journey. And if you feel like you're too late, well, you're never too late. It's better if you start earlier, but it's never too late. So if you think, okay, well, I should have done this 10 years ago. Why even do it? No, don't have that mindset. Still do it still do it because it's it's amazing what happens when you have the faith and you keep on keeping on even when you're having to do things that you never thought in a million years you would have to do for your children it is all very well worth it because in my end what has transpired is that because of getting new eyes to see and new ears to hear i got my happiness back that was missing but because of the teachers who have helped Garrett, the unexpected angels, the doctors and and folks who have come out of the woodwork to help Garrett. I got my hope back. But more importantly, because of both of those blessings occurring in my life together, more importantly, Garrett got his father back. And that's that's how my life has been up until this time. And it's... uh, and, and that's why we absolutely love and adore our son, Garrett. So I'm glad that you brought up the teacher slash counselors, because I, I ran into a lot of those teachers along the way to where they got it. They saw Logan during the day and they knew the things that we struggled with. And a lot of his teachers that he had throughout the years, I'm still friends with today. And they still cheer him on and support him and check in with him every once in a while. But then again, on the other side, you are going to run into those teachers who for whatever reason, either, yeah, either they don't get it or they're just not invested or they don't have time. Yeah. I've run into that other side as well. I'm really, really glad that you are giving the advice to not give up because it's so true that like when you had Garrett when he was little and you thought he would never be an outdoorsman, you'd never get to do sports with him or anything. And then years later, you're getting to participate in those things. And it's not something I'm sure at that time that you could have pictured happening. And the same thing is true, like with 
Logan, where he's at at 19, when he was seven or eight, I never imagined that he would be able to graduate high school, much less graduate from gen ed classes. So you just don't know what these kids are capable of. It's going to be delayed because everything else they've done is delayed, but you just don't know what kind of potential they've got in their future and what milestones they're going to reach. I completely agree. So let me ask you, when the overwhelm and the stress and all of that just kind of piles on and gets to be a little bit too much, what do you do to recharge so that you can keep going with Garrett? I go to the land by myself. I will camp by myself. I will read World War II books by myself. It's usually something by myself. Now, once a year, Jamie and I have a date. That's how we recharge. So we've got to find something different this year, but we go to the state fair while Garrett's at school. So Garrett would not handle the state fair because that's sensory thing. So every year we go an hour before they even open and stay until usually about 6 p.m. And we just laugh and eat and have fun and just really catch up because we are just, we do shift work. I do the mornings, Jamie does evenings. So we really don't see each other much. We really don't. So we knew we needed to do something more often when not too long ago while we were at the fair, Jamie said, well, how are things going at Shell Cooley? I said, sweetie, I don't work at Shell Cooley anymore. I said, I left that firm, you know, a year ago. She was, oh yeah, that's right. So that's when we knew we need to do something more than once a year. Yeah. So uh, that's when health and community services kicked in. So health and community services in Texas has respite care where they have trained individuals that come and watch your child. Well, we had two ladies that they know their stuff and they're really, really good to the point that Garrett knows a new sheriff is in town. So they have a whole different perspective and and expectations than Jamie and I. So those two ladies can have Garrett balancing the checkbook and (laughs) changing out the transmission of my truck within, you know, two hours. So it's really good for Jamie and I to get out to actually for our anniversary. We'll go out and do that while the ladies are here with Garrett. So everyone wins. That's what helped really kind of got us rekindled that we need to do this together because it can be, pretty much a division of services of, all right, Jamie, you take these hours, you know, in these days, and I'll take these hours in these days. And then we'll just wave to each other in passing. Or leave post-it notes. Before I retired, I mean, that's why I'm retired now. 33 plus years, I was in the legal field. And we hired someone to watch Garrett, who was his primary caregiver when he got home from school. And over the summer, when there was no school. And those two ladies we've had since Garrett was 14 years old. And after last year, when they both said, look, we can't do it anymore. One just wanted to work with her own family, which it's hard work to do Garrett and then go home and work with their own kids. And the other lady was moving. There's a big difference in finding someone that will change the diapers, bathe, you know, work with a profoundly autistic 14 year old, and to do the exact same thing for a profoundly autistic adult male. Yes. So the price just just skyrocketed. It was sticker shock. We could not believe. So 
we tried other options. We thought, how are we going to do this? And Jamie said, I know it's about eight years, 10 years earlier than what we thought, but you're up slugger. So, and plus Garrett's not big or aggressive. He's not, he doesn't fight with it. It's just, he's strong. He's strong as an ox. So you have to be able to lift him or help him get in and out of the bathtub because he doesn't do showers. So, you know, doing that and laying him down to change his diapers, it's hard on Jamie's back. And so Jamie said, look, it just makes more sense for you to do it, which meant I had to retire. So last year I retired and my new full-time job is Garrett's primary caregiver. And over the, this past several months is much better now because at least the first few months, there was a lot of identity, self-identity issue. Okay, how am I defined by either watching Garrett for all this time or also from having 33 plus years in the legal field and being pretty darn good in it? There were times where the first few months, I wondered, was this the right decision? Mm-hmm. Even though I'm the, I'm the father, you know, and, and love Garrett. It's that whole routine thing. And plus, because I always had Garrett duty in the mornings, I was always rushed because I had the bus came at six and I had to be at the office. So, you know, I would end up dressing Garrett. You know, I would try to work with him to have him do it himself. But, you know, I was time conscious of going, come on, come on, come on. We got to go, got to go, got to go. So there was no working with him. It was time crunch of, okay, it's faster for me to just do it anyway for him. Exactly. So Jamie said, look, this is your new job. And, you know, it, all, the, all the creative things that you got to do in your legal field, you can do with Garrett. Look of all the things you can do. So that is what really changed my mind, my perspective on it, is that, you know, that is true. I get to do now some of the things that I did, you know, whether it's research or trying to be creative with Garrett. But the biggest thing that did it was after the first month, the bus driver told me that because I would be waiting out front bus driver said you know this past week every time we pull into your street Garrett slides over on his seat and puts his face close to the glass the, to the window and goes daddy 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 Aww. and he's grinning I said he's grinning he's not crying or frowning he says no no he's grinning and he's laughing he's saying daddy daddy so that made a huge difference. And, you know, so we have this routine of what we say when he gets off of the bus, which is our code. That's just his new joke. That's, you know, what are you smiling at, smiley face? What's the matter? Are you afraid of grasshoppers? You don't like Thumper? So that's his joke. So I say that, and then he says it back to me, you know, and then he starts laughing hysterically like it's some comedy routine. So now I take time. I show him how to open the mailbox using the key as opposed to, look, we don't have time. I'll just do it. But I have him put the key in. He'll do it. It takes forever. But now he can do it. So all of the things that I was doing before retirement, I'm doing those same things now. But if he fails doing it, I'll go, nope, that's not right. Let's try it one more time or I spend more time with it. It's not like recreating the wheel or doing anything kind of discovery. It's just, I'm spending more time, not only with him working, doing things, but also spending more time just with him. And this has been 
wonderful in that the way he's responded, I really think he may like me. I'm, I'm not sure. sure he does. I don't want to, I don't go out too far on the limb on this one, but I think he may like me. But every day, if it's not raining, we go on a two mile walk around the park. That's not too far from here, the Rowlett Community Park. And there is not a soul out there. You would think there was a pandemic or something. So we walk around the trails out there and, and I point out animals. You know, what is that? What is that? And I would say he grades about 75. He knows where a lot of them are. So we saw a turtle. I said, what is that? And he said, rock. Well, yeah, it's kind of, kind of. It's pretty close. <laughs> it's pretty close. And then he saw a rabbit go by. I, you know, it's brown fur with a little white tail just going right by the trail. And I said, Garrett, what's that? Went, Skunk? <laughs> okay, yeah, white tail. I get it. But no, that's a rabbit. So it's really, it's to see the world through his eyes. And he makes me laugh. He's the funniest person in our household. I got most witty in high school award. And now the three people in our household, Garrett is the funniest. And then Jamie, I'm the third funniest person. In our household. <laughs> You've you know, been demoted. I've been demoted. It's the, it's, so he makes me laugh all the time because I see the world through his eyes. And he, so he's not being Mr. Joker. He's just, it's just so pure and honest and just very heart touching in that I get a little bit of glimpse of what heaven's going to be like as far as the innocence factor. But because of all the things that have happened, like you mentioned about with Garrett doing outdoors and sport things, his last year at Saxe High School, without us knowing about it, the entire football team, coaching staff, band, cheerleaders, everyone wanted Garrett to be at the game, put him in the game and have him run the last play in for the touchdown during the spring game oh I love uh, that oh it's it is oh just I we had no idea you know the entire stadium knew about it the public address announcer knew yeah. about it and now coming in number 70 Garrett Eggleston and I mean it was a spring game so it was controlled scrimmage during the spring workout so the band was there the cheerleaders they were all mm-hmm. in they even had let's go Garrett cheer going <laughs> I didn't know about it, nor did Jamie when I got home, I told some buddies, I said, you know, I got a five minute glimpse of what heaven is going to be like mm-hmm. when all is right with the world and just with Garrett. I, it's something I will never, ever, ever forget. That was, that just reinstituted my hope meter greatly. I love that. Barry, again, thank you so much for coming on here. I really appreciate your honesty and your transparency and your willingness to share the not so great sides of being a special needs dad and the things that you had to go through. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'd like to thank everyone for listening today. You can find all the links and show notes for today's episode at anamazinglyordinarylife.com slash podcast. If you enjoyed the show, I'd love it if you left a review and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. As always, I would love to hear your story. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, contact me at my website or email me at amazinglyordinary at yahoo.com. And don't miss next week's episode where we bring back Jennifer Babcock. She'll be talking with us about building a program for high school autistic students. I hope you'll join me then.